Welcome to Lost in the Supermarket. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. There's probably no part of the supermarket that's more confusing to shoppers than that of food ingredients. So much misinformation through social media and misreporting makes it so much more difficult for our shoppers to make the best food choices that they can. Today, we're going to clear that all up with two longtime friends and experts. Tia Raines, PhD, is VP of Consumer Engagement and Strategic Development at Ajinomoto Health and Nutrition, a global company that provides innovative solutions to meet various needs of North American consumers with better taste, nutrition, health, and wellness. Tia serves as a health and nutrition advocate within the food and nutrition industry and is focused on the design and implementation of nutrition research and subsequent translation of new findings into accurate communications that advances human health. Ellie Wilson, MS, RDN and CDN is manager of lifestyles and wellness of Price Chopper Market 32, located in Schenectady, New York. She develops and manages nutrition data and food and health resources for the chain of 130 stores and supports pharmacy, quality assurance, private label, public relations, human resources, and sales and marketing teams. She also facilitates public-private partnerships, focusing on population health, business, and nutrition linkages. Tia Nelly, welcome to Lost in the Supermarket. Thank you. Thank you. So my first question is, what do you both see as the most confusing issues for consumers when reading food labels? Tia, why don't you go first? Well, first off, you alluded to this when you started that I think there is a lot of misinformation out there that's being driven by non-experts in food and nutrition, uh, propagating their opinions as well as uh, maybe other opinions that they've heard that they are amplifying out there. And I think it leads to a lot of confusion with people in terms of what's fact and what's myth or, or an extension of, of misinformation. So I think that is what's driving a lot of this confusion. And unfortunately, I think that spills over into responses by whether it's the mainstream media, but also retailers. Uh, and even the food industry has a role to play here. For example, the whole clean label movement, I think, is a response to misinformation where the industry has reacted by defining what should be on a food label when science should be what's defining what's on that food label. And unfortunately, we're at a place where science isn't leading the narrative right now. It's, uh, it's in the backseat, and I hope to change that. Which, we, which is why we have a scientist here to explain it. Before I get to Ellie, um, so what can a consumer do when, when they're researching an ingredient or an ingredient statement or a clean label or an ingredient that they've never heard of or a claim? Um, in today's environment, what they're going to do is they're going to go on Google. And as you know, the three of us know, 50% uh, of what you find on Google is true, 50% is either paid for or not true. Um, Tia, how, how can the consumer navigate this? I, I think it's similar to navigating medical information. You have to go to a source that is reliable, that is backed by experts and has some sort of not policing, but guidance behind it. So for example, government sites are always good places to go. They are uh, putting forth facts and they are ensuring that scientific consensus is what's being represented there. Certainly registered dietitians are the authority on food and health and 
always seem to be a, a good place to go. I say almost always because they're like with any profession, you you may get some people that are on the fringes that are, are taking factual information and maybe extrapolating to a, a place that isn't in line with scientific consensus, but certainly registered dietitians are a good place to, to go. And then I know people cringe at this, but food companies, they are required by FDA, FTC guidance to be putting fact out there on their websites or with their information. So if you're looking for information on an ingredient that's on a food package, I would go to that company's website and try to find out you know, what, what is that ingredient and why, why it is there. I want to go back to one, one thing that you mentioned as far as going to reputable sources. One of the things that I come across a lot, and Ellie and I have actually communicated about this, is there are studies that come out that have very small samples. I'm talking about like 40 people. And, and the headlines in major media, you know, take that and extrapolate it to the, the general population. But, you know, it's 40 people. I, we just reported on a study the other day um, that showed that um, a certain ingredient um, could help, you know, people's health. And then when you looked at, well, dietary fat, and then when you looked at the people that they studied, and it was a huge study, it was, I think, like 30,000 people over a 10 or 15 year period. What they found is their claim that increasing the amount of dietary fat would actually reduce heart disease. Well, you look at the people, they were had a BMI, a very low BMI. They exercised daily. They were on the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> I mean, you looked at all the factors and of course, these people are going to have, you know, uh, have, have healthy lives. Ellie, you know, what do you see as the major consumer confusion these days? Well, I have to agree with Tia about, you know, how we are communicating how what creates a healthful food, right? Um, but there's that, that actually opens a door for us to help people with um, discussions about ingredients, especially ingredients like MSG that have been around for such a long time. Um, I'll use one that we're all very familiar with. Eat what your grandmother ate. Okay. Right. Uh, MSG's discovery as a, as a unique substance is over 100 years old. So I'm pretty sure my grandmother was there. <laughs> and at that time, she also really embraced it as a way to help her family enjoy what was a much less robust and culinary oriented um, food supply and, and grocery store at the time, right? So um, there's an opportunity to help people see, reframe this a little bit. Because it is, tr it is true, we're getting this information positioned as a negative um, that in truth is positive. And we know that we have a lot of situations like that right now where we're in polarizing conversations. We need a nudge, not a push. So Ellie, you, you brought up a great example with MSG. Um, you know, for decades now, you know, there have been a lot of people and a, and a lot of... Um, 
whether it's on social media or other channels that say, oh, keep away from MSG. You know, it, it's horrible. It shouldn't be in products. Uh, Tia, put on your food scientist hat. What is MSG exactly? MSG is simply the sodium salt of the amino acid glutamate. So there are 20 amino acids that make up protein. They're the building blocks of protein. Glutamate is one of those 20. And in fact, it's the most predominant amino acid in nature. Sitting here today, four pounds roughly of our body weight is made up of glutamate. It's in plants, it's in other animals. It's very, very prevalent. It's the predominant amino acid in breast milk. No one has an issue with glutamate as an amino acid until you attach that one sodium ion and use that chemical sounding name, monosodium glutamate, which is, I think, really what is the, the challenge with that ingredient. You know, we're using salt to refer to sodium chloride, but we don't really have a name to refer to monosodium glutamate, um, which is unfortunate because what it is, is umami alongside of the other four basic tastes. And it is that sensation that we taste on our tongue when we're eating anything savory inside. So I'm gonna ask what might sound like a silly question to both of you, um, being you know the scientist in your organization. So what's the big controversy? If, if, as, if as you've explained it, it's that simple. Is it what you said, Tia? It's just, you know, somebody picked the wrong name a hundred years ago and it's caught a lot of flack as a result of that? Or is there something more? Is there any research that shows that MSG shouldn't be part of our profile? There's actually a lot of research that shows that MSG is perfectly safe to eat and can be enjoyed as a seasoning like it is around the world. And it's unfortunate that there was a point in history where the perception of MSG radically shift from being positive. It was discovered in 1908, came to market in 1909 in Japan as a seasoning because it makes food taste delicious. It came to the US in 1917. It was used without issue in the food supply for many decades. And what changed things was a 1968 letter to the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And it was a Chinese American physician that had written in saying that he noticed when he ate Chinese food in the United States, that sometimes he would experience symptoms after the meal, such as numbness, pressure in the chest, headaches, et cetera. And in that letter, he says it could be the cooking wine, it could be excessive sodium that's used in Chinese food restaurants here, or it could be the monosodium glutamate. And at the end of the letter, he has a call to action to anyone in the medical community asking them if they've noticed any similar symptoms or if they could follow up on this research wise. And a couple of scientists did. And instead of taking a, an approach looking at human consumption of this ingredient and looking at symptoms, they started injecting large doses directly into the abdomens or the brains of mice and rats, which makes them very, very ill. It's the same effect you would note if you were injecting a large dose of any substance into a rat or mouse, it tends to produce ill effects. That would include water as well as air. And that really is what cemented that negativity around MSG, not research, not anything around a, a clinical finding. Uh, it was just this letter coupled with a couple of animal experience experiments, which is not how you would be testing the safety of a dietary ingredient. 
Well, it's very similar uh, when I think about saccharin. You know, when um, when saccharin first came out, everybody was using it. Uh, then I think there's one study in Canada, very similar, where they injected some mice with, you know, a thousand times the dose of saccharin and lo and hold, um, it, it produced problems. And saccharin, the last time I looked, had less issues than a lot of the other artificial sweeteners that are out there. But in consumers' minds, they still say, oh, saccharin, it's not good for us. Now, it's unfortunate when animal research can, can determine the safety of an ingredient exclusively. When we have lots of ways to be able to test the impact of dietary ingredients on human health. So Ellie, besides the MSG benefits as it relates to flavor, umami, does it have any other value in the food supply? It has a tremendous value in food supply, especially in light of our opportunities to improve sodium profile of foods. Um, we are. We know. Last week, uh, the FDA released new sodium voluntary sodium targets, and one of the things that that I have encountered, and I know some of my peers have encountered in food retail, is, you know, as we as our companies develop products, sometimes we are actually combining ingredients from different companies, and on their own, they look great or they have an okay profile, but then when we start to layer them in a product we start to see real challenges with things like sodium. Now, when we look at the fact that we are serving our communities, including our employees, right, our, our whole community um, with these foods and with our own label, our, our private labels, et cetera, there's a really unique opportunity to bring benefit and flavor into these products and lower sodium at the same time. You know, to Tia's point about you know, the, and yours about how a product is named in a way that the clean label type of, of discussion has with MSGs kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, right? Simply because it's a chemical sounding name. So that is our opportunity again, is to reframe and reframe the company it keeps even internally. I mean, we have internal customers to speak to as well, dietitians working in food retail and as we even march further into a food as medicine opportunity, we really have to change some of the, uh, the profiles of foods. I mean, we have a hundred, something like 115 million Americans have high blood pressure. That is a lot of our customers. 25% of Americans have, are, one in four dies of heart disease. That's 25% of our customer base. So this is a real opportunity to shift perception and create opportunity value in lowering sodium, enhancing flavor. What a great opportunity to enhance the flavor of vegetables so that we can move people towards that five servings per day that only one in 12 are close to now. You know, so there's real opportunities here. So Ellie, let me, let me peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, you have a conversation, you're heavily involved in, in the development of store brands. Um, you have a conversation, you're trying to make 
your store brands healthier, meeting more consumer needs. Um, you're, you're that voice of reason. Um, and you go to your buyer uh, or product developer and say, you know, MSG should be in this product. Talk to me about that conversation. So I think it depends on the group of products that we're discussing. And how that plays out is an education moment, right? And it is an opportunity to use research such as the consumer um, research showing that this is less concerning than other uh, types of issues in food ingredients. Um, so it's really an education moment. And as far as my role, my role is part of the team um, and we all bring our information to the table and say, how will we best serve the customer? How will we best serve business? And that is an opportunity to, this is really an opportunity to bring those two together. So Tia, I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot here for a minute. Um, there are retailers around the country who have banned MSG, who have said, you know, um, our consumers just don't want ingredients um, that have MSG in them. What do you have to say about that? And what do you say to them? I think it's unfortunate for two main reasons. One, Ellie just alluded to, it's a tool that's very effective at being able to reduce the sodium anywhere from 25 to 60%, depending on what the formula is. So we are in a place right now where nine out of 10 Americans are consuming too much sodium. MSG alone is not going to solve for that, but it's another tool that's not currently being used because of this perception issue that is reinforced with these retailers and these no-no lists. So that's, that's point number one. Point number two is that MSG is a part of food culture around the world. It is an important ingredient in Asian food culture. It's used in uh, uh, different Latin countries. It's an important ingredient that is inherent to those foods and dishes that the people in those regions enjoy. And so by putting an ingredient like that on this no-no list, you are, you are compromising the integrity of, of those different food cultures. How can you bring a, a Asian, traditional Asian food product into a retailer and ban MSG. I mean, that's just, I, I think it's being culturally insensitive when you're not using science to, to make these decisions and instead you're responding to what you think your consumer is looking for. And also let's not forget survey after survey, I don't care who does it, always says that number one is taste for, yes. for shoppers mm. as it relates to food. Um, so, I mean, if it doesn't taste good and we've got an ingredient that helps something taste good, there, there's this fighting going on. So, Ellie, um, as an RD, what recommendations do you have for other RDs and other health experts and retail professionals on how they can educate consumers about MSG so we can start to shift the narrative so it moves away from this no-no list to a yes, yes list. So there's, I think, a, some really great opportunities. Communication is key, right? So going back to my statement about your grandmother ate it, let's leverage some of the ways that we communicate um, benefit 
and, and also talk about ingredients that are bringing benefits. So in a way, it's the company you keep, right? So um, Tia mentioned potassium chloride earlier. Well, we're now reframing that as potassium salt as a way to help consumers see that this is an ingredient that is okay in food because we need more potassium in our food supply. That's also part of helping us control some of these population health heart concerns. Um, think about you know, the evolution of how different foods have moved into our culture. Remember when Greek yogurt was new? <laughs> you know, I mean, we have, a, we have really powerful capacity in our marketing and our storytelling. Um, MSG, again, having that history and that length of time. And, you know, in a way, it's a little bit of an underdog story, right? So here's Clark Kent. And but all the time he's been Superman. You know, <laughs> There's an opportunity here. This is a I love the toolkit approach. My son is a has a this scout tool and it's a it's a pliers it's a screwdriver it's a solar panel it can walk your cat you know this thing is just amazing but msg has a lot of those same kind of characteristics in that it helps us include sodium which absolutely has functional quality in our food products without having it be an excessive it is a simple substitute it's accessible um it is a, you know, there's a, a Dorothy and her red shoes. You said pull back the curtain. So it made me think of the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy and had those red shoes on. She had the solution to some of these problems the whole time. So it's, a, it's just a reframing, I think. Yeah. So, so Tia, you mentioned research before. There's scientific re research and there's behavioral research. Um, is there any research that talks about the behavior side of MSG? We've done one study with a researcher named Jason Reese, trying to peel the onion and, and find out sort of what's at the root of some of the negativity with MSG. And it's, I guess it's just, as you would expect, very few people, if any, have personally had a reaction to MSG, but they have a negative emotion towards it because of something that they read or that they heard. And, and I think that's probably true of a number of different food substances that uh, experiences that we've had either through others or, or ourselves kind of reinforce a, a perception that despite actual biological research showing there is no impact, it's hard to overcome that emotional aspect. So Ellie, you're talking to consumers day in and day out. How do we build on findings like this to change the behavior, to inform consumers, to empower consumers about these attitudes that they've got, not only, not only about MSG, but many foods, different beverages, ingredients, um, issues that, that matter in our food supply. Um, how, how does an RD do this and how do you do this? Oh. Again, you know, helping people understand, I mean, one of the biggest surprises that um, that is for people is to find out that glutamate is already in their body, that this is already part of their biology, already part of our foods. So that does tend to lower some of the, you know, kind of opens the door to a 
okay, I can learn more about this. This may, let me, you know, understand this better. People also like, I mean, again, we can use some of the tools that we use or that are used in social media. Secret. Everybody likes to know the secret, right? So this is a way that we can educate through some of that, um, that negative and that stigma situation. We also, you know, can even look at this from a segmentation point of view, which is a lot of how retailers communicate and food companies communicate. So going back to that health um, and, and grouping, you know, really frighteningly and sadly, the number one killer of young mothers is heart disease. What's an opportunity here? To These are the, the, the customers we're focusing on, especially in those digital channels. What an education opportunity that we can help them, you know, dispel that myth. And we've certainly had our share of myths in food. So we can, again, we can use these channels and, and even probiotics. Who knew what they were back then? Now everybody knows what they are. I mean, we've actually been able to create markets for sour beverages with some really gnarly looking floaty stuff. So right. I think that we have an opportunity to, to turn this, to get an attitude and information adjustment. Again, that nudge behavioral economics opportunity and ensure that we can, you know, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can reposition something like MSG with other substances that we're counting on, um, what flavors cheese, you know, uh, penicillin roqueforti, right, uh, with blue cheese or um, our probiotics, you know, everyone touts their actual species. They write that the species are in the ingredient lists on yogurt. You know, these are, these are the, this is the company that we want MSG to keep. And we want people to understand that this is the group it's in. So I think that there's some real opportunities to educate through that. And as we look at you now, there's 163 food categories in that um, FDA guidance that was released last week. But there's definitely some, um, some bigger players when it comes to sodium content in the food supply that should probably be looked at first. And that may be that that nudging everything just a little bit is why they're trying to do that. Because when we just have one deli meat item that is low sodium and it's a roasted turkey and we call it low sodium roasted turkey, mm, can't wait for that. <laughs> you know, so there's an opportunity here, again, to reframe with flavor and benefit. This is, you know, a really great example of where the rubber meets the road of how do we use science, culinary science, to move us and continue? Look at how retailers have taken care of their communities over the last couple of years as we've gone through this unprecedented time. They applied science to make sure that their employees were safe and their shoppers were safe. This is culinary science and a multifaceted multifaceted culinary tool we can use to keep that type of commitment to our shoppers in our communities moving forward. Well, it's been a great discussion. I want to thank you both so much for joining us today. Um, Tia, if people want to know more information about MSG, is there a website that they should go to? 
Yes, we created a website called knowmsg.com, K-N-O-W-M-S-G, the play on words there. This is just an educational site where we've got all of the research that's been done on the safety of MSG, as well as the sodium reduction studies, recipes, and then kind of what we've been doing from a company standpoint to try to get out there and help people understand the facts about the ingredient. Thank you both. And thank you for joining us today on Lost in the Supermarket. Be sure to check out our archives and future episodes at retaildietitians.com.